Good morning, Terra Nova. Uh, as Scott said, my name is Sean. I am the youth director here at Terra Nova, and I'm also the uh, also still serving as an intern. I don't know where one of those ends and the other begins, but I serve in both of those roles here. Um, it's good to be together, and um, we're continuing our ongoing series for the summer in Proverbs. Um, today we're going to talk about friendship. Uh, as we know, Proverbs is a practical book. It gives us a lot of good little tidbits that we can learn. We can read them one at a time and, and use them to apply directly to our lives. Um, <coughs> And just talking about friendship, we say every week, you know, it is good to be together. Um, so one thing that I realized in, in, in preparing for this sermon was that I personally had a lot of beliefs about friendship that, as I was studying, I, I kind of thought, when we think about friendship, it seems like an, an easy concept that we, we already know a lot about. But as I was studying, I started realizing, like, man, I really, I really think I know a lot about friendship, but the truth is I don't actually, my idea of friendship doesn't line up with Proverbs at, at all, and, and all these people I consider my friends, in, in fact, may not be what the Bible refers to when it says, when it, when it refers to a friend. Um, so just in saying that, I, I would say to you, um, I feel the temptation is there to kind of check out and not want to engage, but I, I would encourage you to in, engage as we do this study, as we, as we go through God's Word together, to see where in your life um, you can recognize friendship um, as the Bible defines it, or maybe as the Bible defines as not such a good, healthy friendship. Um, so when we talk about this in, in, the, in the culture we live in, when you hear the word friends, a lot of different things come to mind. One could be a, a 90s television show with Jennifer Aniston. Um, the other thing could be millions of people on, on Facebook or a social networking site like that. Um, and just to get, the, get it out of the way right up front, probably 95% of the people we know on Facebook are not real friends. Um, even the ones we've met you know, that we haven't seen since high school or our ex-boyfriends or girlfriends that we just keep up with to see what's going on in their lives... Um, are probably not real friends as, as the Bible refers to them. So um, here's where I want to end up today. Uh, as I first felt called to, to a preaching ministry, somebody encouraged me. The, the easiest way to, to look at it is every text you want to preach, just simply look for Jesus in there, and that's what you want to represent. If, if it's Old Testament or New Testament, we're always looking for Christ in the text. So that's ultimately where I want to end up today. But before going there, I want to take a, a little time to look at what bad friends are, as described in the book of, of Proverbs, because once we understand what a bad friend is, then we can narrow down our definition for what a good friend looks like. So then we'll transition into the good friends, look at them, and then ultimately stop with and, and end up where Jesus was and, and what friendship looked like in his life and ministry and how he fulfills some of these Proverbs, proverbs on friendship. Um, so let's turn to Proverbs and let's go, let, let God's word speak to us on this topic. If you don't have a Bible today, raise your hand. Someone would be glad to bring you one. Um, and if you don't currently own a Bible of your own, please feel free to keep this as a gift from us. Uh, while they're passing these out, I'm going to pray for us. Uh, Father God, I do thank you for an opportunity to share your word. Um, pray that your Holy Spirit would be here with us to convict us of sin and ultimately make us more like you. Um, I pray that you would bless my words and... Um, and I pray that Jesus would be revealed to us today and we can see different friendships and, and examine our own lives for how that looks like in our own life. Um, pray this all in Jesus' name and in the power of your Holy Spirit and for your glory. Amen. Okay, so even before Proverbs, early on in the Bible, in, in its first book, Genesis, uh, during the creation account, we only get two chapters in. God has this, this creation narrative of make something, says it's good, repeat make something else, it's good, repeat. Um, but then in chapter 218, we read, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. So, only two chapters in, we see the first thing that is not good. It is not good for man to be alone. And, and the ultimate 
answer, the, the immediate answer that God had given to Adam for him being alone was to give him a wife. Um, but we want to look at things a little more, more broadly. Not everyone in here has wives, and um, those that, of us that do have wives or husbands recognize the, the friendship that we have with them and, and the companionship and, and what a valuable thing that is. But for, for those of us that are not married or even those of us that are, we also have friendship because we recognize it's not good in life to be a hermit. We want to do life together and, and do that with other people. Um, but I just bring this up because no culture had the idea that we should, we should make friendships or, or have relationships. It was actually God in the beginning who saw it wasn't good for us to be alone. So when we examine Proverbs and we look at its descriptions of what qualities uh, make a good friend, not surprisingly, we see that a lot of them actually tell us the bad qualities that would look like. Um, so knowing the negative qualities to look out for would make it easier for us to identify the qualities that we do want to find in a friend. Um, so I'm going to read a bunch of Proverbs now. They'll be on the screen behind me, uh, stating some of the more obvious traits we wouldn't seek in our friendships. And since I don't suspect many people will be attracted to the following qualities, I'm not going to spend too much time on them. But nonetheless, it's good to mention them. <clears throat> the partner of a thief hates his own life. He hears the curse, but discloses nothing. Whoever robs his father or his mother and says that it is no transgression is a companion to a man who destroys. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. A companion of gluttons shames his father. Trusting in a treacherous man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as cursing. Now, as I said, I don't think it's a stretch to assume that most of us would easily recognize these types of character flaws as, as bad qualities look for in a friend. I, I imagine the temptation isn't there for most of us to associate with, with murderers or, or thieves or drunks or liars. Um, we easily recognize that as sin and call it bad, but there's a couple of them that are a little more funny, I like to point out. Um, like the guy, the, the madman, as Proverbs calls him, who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Just, I, think, I can't think of, stop but think of Ashton Kutcher in that show Punked where he like plays these pranks on his friends and then it's like, oh, it's just a joke, we're all kidding. I don't think anybody would personally want him as a friend like that. Um, and then this, the, the other one that I think is funny too is whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning. Um, I just find it great that the Bible calls it, he's blessing his neighbor in a loud voice. And, and if anyone ever lived next to a drummer, you totally know what this is talking about. Um, <coughs> But So these types of friends are out there, and it's likely everyone in this room has someone they love in, in one of these camps. And I'm not saying we shouldn't love them. I'm just saying that these are not the best qualities for those that we depend on. Um, at, at Terra, we, we usually shy away from using big theological words. But, but in this case, I think we'll make an exception. And the, the word that the Bible uses for these people, the, the one I want you to take home today, is fool. So you don't want to hang out with fools, is, is the way the Bible puts it. These are not the best kind of qualities we look for in our friends. Um, but now let's move on to some of the more, the less obvious character flaws, rather, uh, that we want to avoid in our friends. Um, the following traits are often a little more subtle because they're closer to a desirable trait, um, but have been just like a little bit distorted. Uh, among them are gossip, flattery, and anger. And I'll read the specific verses right now. A dishonest man spreads strife, 
and a whisperer separates close friends. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. The, the first quality we see, the first one we'll look at in detail is gossip, which is, is an interesting one. As, as both verses talk about it, they say that it separates a close friend. So, so the gossiper is the, is the person who, who is a good listener, perhaps. He's good at hearing, hearing your story or your hurts and pains, but he's also a good repeater. He goes and tells other people that you may not want to necessarily know that information. Um, and, and if we're honest, if we were to pull the room, I bet you everybody at least one time in their life has been guilty of gossip. Um, if, if not on the, on the giving end, on the receiving end, maybe somebody was gossiping to us and we were just too short to, to kind of shut that person down and, and tell them maybe it, we're not the best person to be speaking about it. Uh, to about that topic. Um, this is why tabloid magazines are such a profitable industry in our culture, because people just love to gossip and know other people's business. Um, the worst thing about this type of friend is that they can do this under, under the guise of being a good friend, right? Um, like I said, it's just a little distorted from a good quality. A, a good quality, what we're going to look at later, is, is being a good counselor. So counselors are also good listeners, but the, the thing about a counselor is they then speak truth into your life. The gossiper is on the other end of that, is the negative spectrum, where, where he's a good listener, but not because he wants to help you and speak truth into your life, but rather because he wants to, to share your hurts and your pains with other people. Um, anytime somebody's listening to, to someone and thinking like, man, their life would make a good soap opera, maybe I should publicize that for them and, and do it for them. Um, and, and listening to gossip is obviously, you're just as guilty as, as the person sharing it. You're, you're enabling that person. Um, the, the best definition that I've heard someone give for gossip is that it is confession of someone else's sins. So, so the Bible says that we should confess our sins one to another. But gossip is kind of like a half-truth of that, where, where we're not confessing our own sins, but we're confessing other people's sins and, and, and making their, their information public. Um, so this can be a, a really painful thing and, and, and not necessarily a, a quality we want to look for in our friendships. But another, another friendship quality that Proverbs calls bad is flattery. And, and again, this is just slightly deviated from, from a good trait. Um, it, it almost looks like encouragement at first because they're, they're, kind of, they're kind of telling you things that you want to hear or nice things that are flattering you. But, but ultimately, it's, it's really just lies. There's a difference between building someone up in, in the truth, in, in a true foundation, or, or puffing someone up with hot air. And, and that's what what um, flattery is ultimately. Um, so let's just call that what it is, which is, which is although it's nice sounding, it, it's a lie and, and nobody really wants to be lied to and told things that aren't true. So this would bring us to the last bad character trait we're going to look at today. And this would be the angry friend. Um, this is probably a little less subtle than the other ones. Most people easily recognize anger when they're hanging out with someone and, and don't generally want to associate with that. But we have to be careful because anger isn't always a sin. Um, when we look through the Bible, we read in Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So according to the Bible, it is possible to be angry for a moment and not sin. But, but then we start getting close. Um, it's easy to lose our patience and sometimes a reason when we're angry. So what's, what's the difference between being the angry man and being angry? Um, the, the big difference is this. I mean, God is angry sometimes, at, or God is always angry, rather, at sin. And this is a holy idea for him to, to righteously be, be angry at something that should not be so. 
Um, but there's a difference between getting angry on occasion and, and always being ready to boil over. Often this angry person might, be, might have hurts and pains in their past that they're still bitter about, so they just have this really short fuse, and, and you only have to bump them ever so slightly for them to blow up. Um, we don't want to be this guy. Proverbs says that hanging around with the angry guy, what's the, what's the word here? Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. So, so you might think, what is the snare I could get, get trapped in? And as I was thinking through this, I thought of, probably everyone can relate to some type of time in their life when maybe they were hanging around with, with some friends, perhaps a married couple, and they ended up fighting, and you were in this position where you were feeling very awkward because there's these two people fighting, and it has nothing to do with you, but you're kind of trapped with them. I, I could see this happening in a car ride, which would be the worst, like maybe over directions or something, and they're fighting, you're in the back seat, like, man, I don't know how I got in this position, but I can't jump out on the freeway. Um, this is the, the type of snare you can get caught in when you associate with this angry man, and um, you just don't want to have this kind of relationship, don't want to have these types of friendships. Um, but in, in talking about these different types of bad qualities, there's one thing I want to make really clear when we're talking about it. Um, we probably all know someone or love someone that has one or more of these traits. Um, and, and what I'm not saying is that we shouldn't be friends with them or that, or that we should disassociate with them. These, these are people that we love, and, and it's important to recognize that, that um, we are all sinners and we all have fallen short of the glory of God. But on the one hand... Um, so on the one hand, we are not, none of us are more worthy for God's grace than others. But on the other hand, these people that are, that are perhaps bad friends, they are still created in the image of God. So it's important to recognize in that, that in them, um, what, what may be necessary just setting up boundaries. You may, you may find yourself in a situation where you're a friend to someone because you're able to pour into them, but they may not necessarily be in a situation where they're capable of doing that back to you. So there might be a little more give than there is take in that relationship. Um, it's okay to minister to the broken people of the world that may have these situations. And, and as a church, I would encourage you to do that. But we, we want to be careful not to set ourselves up for disappointment and, and letting others let us down. Um, so there is a big difference between ministry and friendship. And so taking a look at these bad friend friendship qualities that we have, now we'll transition a little bit into the good ones. Um, an important thing to remember about true friends is that they're always few in number. Uh, they're the exception and not the norm. Some of the more general topics we'll read. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. And a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Once again, points us to some real practical advice when we examine our friendships. Again, we, we see that they're few in number. Um, the 10,000 friends we have on Facebook are, are just an exaggeration of people that are actually our friends. And um, I, I learned this the hard way because I played in a band for years. So I, I knew hundreds of people from all around the world. I, I had them all in my phone, all in my Facebook. I thought I had like, man, I have so many friends. I've, I've lived such a good life to meet so, so many awesome people. And then a true testament of, of what, how many friends I actually had was when I actually got baptized at this church, and I invited them all publicly on Facebook, text message, everything, and um, lo and behold, two of them showed up. So that was probably a more accurate reflection of how many friends I had. Um, and one of them lived with me, which kind of made it hard for him to escape. So maybe I had one, I, I don't know. Um, so, we, so we want them, you know, we, we find out that they're actually a lot less than we might think at first. Um, we also want them to be, be close in proximity, and, and this can be tough in the culture we live in because we have all these social networking tools like Facebook and Twitter. We have cell phones, and we can even Skype now so we can see them, 
you know, face-to-face, but not actually be in the same state as them. Um, and, I'm not, and I'm not minimizing those types of relationships. It's good to foster them, but a, a good, good litmus test for where your friendship is is wh- who's with me when things get rough, and, and it's hard to do that from across the country. Um, this brings us to a next general quality you want to identify in our friends, and that's faithfulness. Um, are your friends reliable? In order to foster a good friendship, you need to have an environment of trust. And then lastly, there's adversity. So whenever I hear the word adversity, I always think of being on a plane and the flight attendant saying, we've come into some adverse weather conditions. The pilot has turned on the seatbelt light. And I always hear that in an English accent for some reason. Um, and so, so who's going to be with you when the going gets tough? That's what we're looking for in a friendship. If you can identify that person, you've probably identified a true friend. Again, these are some of the more general principles that Proverbs highlights for us. Um, but let's look at some more qualities in, 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 uh, in detail. The first one would be the counselor. Uh, one characteristic that Proverbs repeatedly says is good is the willingness to give good advice. Our priceless trait, or, uh, one priceless trait that we can find in friendships are people that are willing to speak pac- practical truth into our lives. And here's the Proverbs that put it this way. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Counselors are usually good listeners. I, I know I talked about this a little bit with, with gossipers. It's, it's the gossiper redeemed, really, if, if you want to look at it that way. They're, they're able to, to listen because you can't give good advice unless you accurately understand the circumstances of someone else's life when, when they're telling you. Um, so then after you understand the circumstances, you're then able to speak that good counsel into someone's life. Um, also, we see that, that plans succeed when you have many counselors. Um, some of you in here might be planners. You might be good with calendars and, and phones and Excel sh- uh, spreadsheets. Um, or some of you might be more like me, who don't know where you're going for lunch after church today um, until your wife tells you. Or um, just don't have a lot of foresight, such as myself, which is why not that long ago, someone in our youth group thought it was a good idea to bring a snake in a friend of mine's car, and um, that snake got away, and we've never seen it again. Sorry about that. Uh, but, but good friends f- forgive, and, and that's another trait that we're looking for in good friends. True story. Um, and, and then there's, something, there's a caution that I want to give with this idea of counselor. Um, so when we read that there is safety and abundance of counselors, uh, a, a picture immediately comes to my mind and, and think about this and, and how it can go wrong. W- any of you here that are, that are parents have, have, have probably experienced this situation. Um, you, you have the small child and, and he comes to mom and, and wants to make some type of poor decision like, mom, can I have ice cream for dinner tonight? And of course mom says, no, you can't have ice cream for dinner tonight. That's a horrible idea. So then the same child goes to dad and says, dad, can I have ice cream for dinner tonight? And of course dad says... Did you ask your mother? Um, what, what did your mother say? And then the child walks away with his head down in shame and makes the right decision because he, he's defeated by the, the good counsel he's heard on, on, on two different accounts. So many counselors gave him good advice. But e- even as adults, we can get this wrong. We can, we can go to one person for counsel, and, and this is just evidence of, of the fall in our own lives and, and our own hearts being bent towards sin. We, we go to someone for counsel, and, and they, they may be a good, godly person, and they tell us, maybe it's a bad idea to get a tattoo on your face um, or something. something Something along those lines, and then you go to someone else, and, and they give you the same counsel, but for whatever reason, you don't want to hear that, and you keep going to different counselors because you, you, your heart is so bent towards sin, 
you want to hear what you want to do and not what God actually is speaking into your life. So a good test for, for knowing when God wants you to make a decision or, or when counsel is good is when you hear that input from several different people in your life. And uh, don't take that lightly and don't cast that aside because that's often how God speaks to us. And, and so the, the, the uh, safety that's in an abundance of counselors is, is that we don't dismiss that and don't keep going to counselors until we hear the, the best advice that we only want to hear out of our own sinfulness. Um, so these are the types of friends that are invaluable. Good counselors. Um, another type of friend that Proverbs mention, mentions even more than counselor is the friend that rebukes or corrects you. And uh, to be honest, I'm a little afraid to talk about rebuke because in our culture, we don't like that. Um, we don't like being told we're wrong. Th- this is America. Um, this is the home of the free, which means um, I'm free to do what I want and you're free to keep your opinion to yourself, right? Um, so so in, in talking about rebuke, it, it, the Bible shows us that it's actually a positive thing and not a negative thing. And, and this is some of the ways that Proverbs puts it. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Blows that wound, cleanse away evil, and strokes make clean the innermost parts. There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. A scoffer does not like to be reproved, he will not go to the wise. Strike a scoffer, and the simple will learn prudence. Reprove a man of understanding, and he will gain knowledge. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. Um, Rebuke is not a word I use every day, so I find I have to define it for myself before I can actually think through it. Um, so, so what is rebuke? It's a strong word of correction after someone has done wrong. Uh, another thing we see in these good traits, sometimes the, one of your friends may have more than one trait. There may be some overlap there. You may have a, a friend that's a good counselor. That actually puts him in a great situation to be a, a good rebuker as well, right? After he counsels you and tells you, don't do this, you do it anyway. He's in a great position to then tell you and give you rebuke because you, you went against his word. Um, and again, this, a good example I can think of about this is, is the parent with the child. Rebuke is never out of self-interest or, or out of um, bitterness or malice. It's always, it's always out of love for the person, right? So a parent with a child, the child may, may run out in front of traffic, and so the parent quickly grabs them and, and then yells at them, you know, don't, don't do that again, you have to hold my hand, or some situation. I, I don't know, I don't have children, but I'm thinking back to my own life, and as a child, um, I guess I disobeyed a lot, I don't know. Um, so you, you want to... That parent rebuking the child, it's not, out, it's not out of hatred, right? It's out of love because they don't want them getting hurt. It's their best interest in mind. They want to preserve a life, not take it. Um, and this is why rebuke is shown as a positive thing in the Bible. Um, the other thing about, about the friend that rebukes you, he never says, I told you so. Uh, again, with the, the overlap between a counselor and a rebuker, he may have told you ten times, don't make that decision. But then if you come back to him, um, the rebuke is not out of his own pride and his own ego saying, you know, you shouldn't have done that after I told you not to. It's, it's really out of your concern, not out of his own ego. Um, and according to Proverbs, scoffers don't get this idea. And, and this is another word I, I had to look up the definition. I don't know what a scoffer is, but some translations um, call it a mocker, which is a, which is a much easier word to wrap your head around. It's, it's someone who has kind of adopted this, this mentality of the glass is always half empty. Um, so, so they're, they're not looking at the positive. Um, nothing is ever good enough. Uh, Proverbs 20 actually says that the mocker is as easy to reason with as a drunk person. So they, they're very dogmatic about that. They don't, want, they don't want to see things from a different light. They always see it in this negative way. 
Um, so it would just be a waste of time to try and rebuke this scoffer. They just don't understand that. Um, it's important as Christ followers that we examine our own hearts because I think if we're honest, even though we may not be a scoffer across the board, always with that negative mentality, I, I think there's, if I'm honest, there's parts of my own life where I just don't want to look at things with a godly perspective and, and have kind of a negative outlook on it. And I think if we're honest, that's probably, there's probably parts in all of our lives that are like that. Um, so, so this rebuker, um, the one thing about rebukes is it, it takes confidence and it takes boldness. Um, you're kind of taking a step of faith because there's a, the chance that person may re- react very poorly to your rebuke. They may not want to hear that. Um, they may perhaps not want to be associated with you anymore after you, you reprimand them like that. Um, so um, that's one thing we have to be careful of. It also takes discernment. Um, there, are, there are times when somebody may not may not need rebuke. If you're the person that counseled that person, maybe they come back to you and they're already repentant. So you, you told them, don't make this decision. They made it anyway, but they recognize the folly of their way. So they come to you w- with kind of this repentant heart of, you know, you told me I shouldn't do this, but I did it anyway. And, you know, I, I regret that and I recognize the folly of that. And, and that person doesn't need to be rebuked. Really, they, didn't, they need to be loved. Even though they shot themselves in their foot, um, they are, you know, they are suffering the consequences from their own sin. Um, a good example we can look at in the Bible of people that got this wrong would be Job's friends. Um, these, uh, this guy gets everything taken away from him except for his wife, and, um, and he's sitting there with these three friends, and, and all they're telling him is like, maybe you sin this way and God, and God is punishing you, or maybe you sin this way and God is punishing you. And they really just weren't very good comforters. They were just kind of heaping on the shame and the guilt, and he didn't really need to be rebuked. He just needed to be loved. Um, one of my favorite verses is, a, is also in one of the other wisdom books of the Bible, which is Ecclesiastes. And this is, uh, the verse says, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. That's Ecclesiastes 4.7. Um, some of us, uh, we might be real lighthearted, kind of have a joking personality a lot of the time. Uh, this is, if I'm honest, this is me a lot of the times, but um, the heart of the wise is in, in the house of the morning. And, and I learned this as a lot of my friends started losing loved ones, and I would go to their funerals, and I wouldn't really know I, I would never know what to say to them. And eventually God just kind of put it on my heart and, and he taught me, it doesn't matter what you say to someone when they're suffering because they're not actually probably going to remember that anyway. But what they will remember is your presence and that you're there with them and that you love them. Um, so, so that's another thing is, is trying to discern the difference between rebuke and, and when somebody actually needs it and just needs love instead. Um, a practical question that I would transition into today when, when talking about friendship is this. Do, do you have any friends in your life that you don't actually have anything in common with? Um, except for maybe one thing, which would be Jesus. And, and Paul would say it this way in 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. He says, For I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. And uh, I just bring that up today because... You know, f- when I was 15, when I was a, a kid, I never would have thought I'd have friends that didn't like the same music as me. Um, but now I find that probably the two best friends I have, I literally have nothing in common with other than the fact that we love Jesus. And so when we have conversations, they're just very deep because we can't talk about shallow things like music and pop culture or um, television shows because honestly, we don't have any common ground and I don't want to know what they watch because I wouldn't like it. Um, so, so we just... Just being honest. Um, so we just um, talk about Christ and our relationship with him, and it, it makes that, that relationship so much deeper, and we just push each other closer to him. And it's, it's just the most refreshing friendship you can have. It's, it's like true rest when you're talking about that and not putting on an actor, talking about things that don't have any eternal significance. Um, so now that we've taken a look at both good and bad friends and the types of qualities that, they are, that are displayed in the book of Proverbs, I'd be amiss if I didn't mention how these types of relationships work at Terra. Um, at Terra, we have tribes. This is our, our word for small group. Um, 
the way it works is people get together in homes throughout the capital district, and they encourage one another as, as friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, the, the, this is where most of the pastoral care is done. Um, if you're here today and, and you've been part of Terra for a while, chances are you're probably already in a tribe. We have very high attendance there. Um, but if you've been coming to Terra for a while, you would consider this your church, and you're not in a tribe, I would ask you why. Um, examine your heart and ask what's keeping you from being in relationship with other Christians. Um, God didn't intend us to go, to go the walk with him alone. Um, he wants us to have others challenging us and pushing us closer to him. Um, also, um, in, in sharing this with you today, I, I told uh, Pastor Dan Williams, who is in charge of our tribes here, I told him I was going to share this, and he was hesitant for me to, to share, just because, honestly, we are short leaders. Um, God has been so good about convicting people that a tribe is a good thing, and, and they see the value in that, that there's been such high demand to attend tribes that we actually don't have enough leaders. So um, maybe you're here today and you have some wisdom or some teaching abilities and you would be a great facilitator to, to lead a small group discussion or host it at your home. If that's something you're being led to, then, um, then just don't brush that aside. That's the Holy Spirit talking and not me. Um, you can sign up in the lobby for tribes um, if you want to be a leader or if you have just more questions, feel free to email dan at terranovachurch.org. Um, he does a tribe leaders training. He does a great job with that, and, and he'll help you get the tools you need if that's something you think God is leading you to do. Um, if Again, if you are, are here today and you're a Christian and you, you are not in community with other Christians, I, I would ask you and, and challenge you to, to examine your heart and ask why. And, and even if you're here today and you're not a Christian, obviously you signed up for, you, uh, or you uh, showed up today, rather, for, for a reason. Um, that's a great way to learn more about Christ, too, is just to be part of a tribe. You can ask honest questions and get honest answers, and there's really not any, um, you know, there's no um, pressure there for you to make a decision before you're ready. Um, now, in talking about that, there's one last piece I want to give of, of practical advice when, when talking about friendship, and that's um, a mentor of mine told me years ago that he always tries to keep somebody, uh, a few people ab- above him as mentors that are able to speak truth in his life and, and kind of they're a little farther down the road, so they're able to help him avoid those landmines that they perhaps hit themselves. So um, in, in your life, what kind of mentors can you, can you identify that can speak that truth into your life um, that are kind of above you and able to pour into you? And also, we would like some in, in like a peer group mentality, um, some people that are kind of walking along with us, like friends, side by side. Always good to have some of those. And then and lastly, you can always share your wisdom with those younger than you or, or less mature than you that you can teach as well. Um, it's always a good idea to have a few people in each of those, those types of situations in your own life. Um, Proverbs itself does speak of the benefit of these, these different life stages, and um, I, it's not something that someone just made up, so I'll read some of these verses that are mentioned in Proverbs. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Again, we see, you know, by hanging out with wise people, you, you grow in wisdom. You grow more like Christ when you hang out with people that love Jesus. Um, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Again, that's a, a good peer side-by-side relationship. Uh, gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. The glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. I, just, I love that power because I feel like it shows a, a young guy maybe like mowing along for, uh, a lawn for someone who is just very elderly, but they have wisdom that they can share with them, and he's doing it for free out of the kindness of his heart. Um, some of you in here may have earned your, your gray hair, and I would just ask you, you know, who are you blessing with the wisdom that you've earned? Um, so these are just some, some more of the, the ways that Proverbs talks about good, good relationships and good friendship commitments. Um, transitioning away from that, we'll look now at, at Christ as a friend. Um, Proverbs has a lot to say on both good and bad friendships. 
but let's ultimately look at how these were present in Jesus' life and ministry. Um, the best place for me to start that I could think of is John 1.14, which reads, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I start here because Jesus is that Word. He, he did become flesh and He did dwell among us. Um, this is what separates Christianity from every other religion out there. Every other religion out there presents a God that's some distant being, um, someone other than, someone, someone up there but not down here, someone not present, um, someone who makes the rules but is kind of above following them, whereas as Jesus is actually God with us. He comes to earth and he lives the, the life that we could not lead. That we could not lead. Um, other religions prevent, present God as someone hard to speak to but, and let alone even know, but Jesus is God in the flesh that we actually get to know, and we, he actually walks with us. Um, Matthew eleven nineteen describes, describes Jesus as this, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He's a God unlike any other God. He, he comes in the flesh eating and drinking. And now this brings me to the proverb that I intentionally left out. Um, it's Proverbs 27, 6, and, and the, the, it's, it's real common. Everybody knows it. I imagine someone in here is probably thinking, why did he not bring up this verse in friendship? But I am. I saved it for last. Um, it's faithful are the wounds of a friend. Everybody seems to know this verse, and that's why I saved it for last. Um, luckily, most people probably use it correctly, but I, I have a fear, and, and experience tells me that some of us in the church, unfortunately, sometimes use this verse incorrectly. Um, and, and here's what I'm, I'm talking about. With, within this verse, it, it implied is presence. And that's why I led into this with John 1.14, because, because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So faithful are the wounds of a friend it implies the friendship piece. That just because you go to the same church with someone or you're, you're both part of this Christian community doesn't necessarily put you in the best position that you should be the one causing these wounds. Um, again, it's kind of talking about rebuke here. Um, it has the self-interest of that person in, in, in mind. Um, but it, it's, the temptation is there to just kind of use that as liberty to say mean and cutting things and point off other people's flaws and then kind of uh, put the icing on the cake, top it off by saying, well, faithful are the wounds of a friend, um, which is not what we want to do. Um, so here's a good test for whether or not you're in a good position to rebuke someone or cause this type of wound. Um, if you're, if you're in turmoil in your own heart, like thinking like, you know what, I recognize this person has this, has this quality or, or made this mistake that I should point out to them and make them aware of it, and, and you're just in turmoil about it because you're afraid you actually might lose that friend, then in that situation, I would say you're probably in the best situation. But that it's probably God leading you to do that in the Holy Spirit and not just your own sinful flesh. But if you have no problem saying and pointing out flaws to someone else and have no fear of losing that friendship... Chances are that's not God. Um, we just can't say mean and cutting things and, and cause wounds in other people's life without actually taking that risk that they may, you know, may be hurt by that. We want to make sure it is a friend that we value before we do that. Um, again, implied within this verse is an ongoing presence in their life. There's pe- these are people you let in. It's not just somebody you go to and, and decide you're going to give them a piece of your mind. Um, and, and that's why I think this verse, faithful are the wounds of a friend, is directly fulfilled by Jesus in the New Testament. Um, Jesus was present with us. He tabernacled among us. He was that friend. Um, but he also did cause wounds. When you read through the Gospels, sometimes he says v- um, very cutting things to other people, things that must have left a sting. Um, but, but he was also full of grace. He was never doing that out of his own self-interest. Um, again, faithful. Uh, Jesus was faithful. He was loyal. He, he, he stayed with the people. He wasn't saying this out of, out of 
um, malice or, or bitterness. He wasn't trying to hurt people, but although it did hurt, he was ultimately doing it for their own benefit. And, and on top of that, he was so faithful that he went to the cross for us. Um, that's why the scripture reads, he will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. It's at least four different places in the Bible that, that has that exact verbiage. Um, he was a friend because he was present with us, and he wasn't afraid of saying painful truths when necessary. Um, the other question we have to ask is, what, what did relationships and friendships look like in Jesus' own life and his own ministry? Everybody knows there were 12 disciples. So, so Jesus had ministered to hundreds, thousands of people, but there was 12 that had immediate access to him. Um, even beyond those 12, there was an inner circle, the three. There was James, Peter, and John. Um, and when we look a little closer at them, we see um, that Peter was a, a very zealous man. He was often quick to speak without thinking. Um, so, again, we see many exchanges between him and Jesus where Jesus is rebuking him. Um, but it's never, again, it's, Jesus was close to him. He had been allowed in, and it was never out of, out of malice. He was always rebuking him out of his own interest and just aligning him with God's ways and not his own fleshly, fleshly patterns. Um, also, there's a part where Peter tells Jesus that he will never fall away. Um, yet, unfortunately, we all know that Jesus, or that Peter rather, denies Jesus three times, um, and just as Jesus himself predicted. Um, which is which is kind of a tragedy to know that Peter did deny Jesus. And I don't say that today to make us lose hope of of how good of friends we can be, but just as a testimony of our own fickleness that at times we do do things that we don't want to do, and at times we do let ourselves down and our friends down. But then we see later, tradition tells us that Peter was martyred for his faith. So ultimately, he had a chance of redemption where he didn't deny Jesus even up to the point of his own death. Um, And this brings us to the last of the three to talk about, and that would be John. Uh, He was the one that wrote the gospel bearing his name. Um, He was the one that was known as the one that Jesus loved. So it it seems evident to me that he was probably Jesus' best friend. Uh, When Jesus is dying on the cross, he looks at John and he says, look after my mother for me. Um, And it's just hard to wrap my head around the idea of like, what kind of friend was John to Jesus that uh, on his deathbed, Jesus looks at him and says, take care of my mother. He must have deeply trusted John. Um, he, He has like, what I would call a boring testimony. It, it, he didn't do a lot of bad stuff. He was just a faithful follower of Jesus, and, and that's awesome, and we need more people like that. Um, but what about bad friends? Did Jesus have bad friends? Um, I know one person particularly comes to mind for everyone when you say that, and this brings me to the part of Proverbs 27.6 that I skipped over. It has two parts, both a, a positive and a negative. So faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Profuse is a funny word. I always think of sweating when I think of profuse, but um, but apparently it means abundant or plentiful. So so many are the kisses of an enemy. Um, I think that's where we get that saying from: "Keep your friends close, but your enemies closer." Um, so so we come to the person of Judas. Um, even in the in the betrayal of our God, we see that this was true. That his his enemies were closer. Um, Judas was a fraud. He was one of the twelve disciples, but he was uh, ultimately used by by the devil to lead Jesus into betrayal, to betray him. Um, and how does he do that betrayal? With a kiss. This shows us he was a flatterer, he was a liar, he didn't mean that kiss, it was vain and empty. He pretends to love Jesus and act like a friend, but it's all an act as he plots his betrayal. He sells Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Um, we see the differences between him and the other 11 disciples. We see their true masters. Th- those that follow Jesus, we see he goes to the cross for them, he, he dies for them. His his. His friendship is life-giving. He gives you life. Um, it's just such a stark contrast between Judas, who was used by Satan as a tool. We know that shortly after Judas betrayed Jesus, he committed suicide. So being used as, as a pawn by the devil 
ultimately led to his death. So we have this one friendship with Jesus that is life-giving and, and these other people following Satan that is life-taking. Um, he promises them empty promises. He promises them the world, but he never com- comes through or commits on that. And that temptation is there for all of us, that Satan would use us and leave us unfulfilled, whereas Jesus, he uses us to our maximum fulfillment. We can be agents of his grace and mercy. To lead others to him is ultimately fulfilling, and to be his friend is the ultimate satisfaction in our lives. So let me ask you today, do you know Jesus personally? Is he your God? Do you believe that he died for you? How did Jesus himself define friendship? In John 15, this is what he would say. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I, am, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. A true friend lays down his life for his friends. When we're looking to choose our best friends, ultimately, even they will be imperfect. Uh, The best friends we can find are ones that will be honest about their own shortcomings. They may still even let us down, but those ultimately point us back to Jesus. That's the best our friendships can do for us on this earth. Not many people would be willing to die for us. Even a decent man um, would have a hard time finding someone that would take a bullet for him. But Jesus laid down his life for us all while we were still his enemies. Um, Some of us here might still be enemies of God. Um, That's why Jesus commands his followers to love their enemies. He did so perfectly, and he died for us when we hated him. G.K. Chesterton said, God commanded us to love both our enemies and our neighbors, because usually they were the same people. In Jesus' case, this was true in every situation. Even one of his closest friends, Peter, did deny him. Yet, he will never deny us. And that's how Jesus was full of grace. He died for us on the cross, and we were still his enemies, securing for us a relationship with God in which we are now called his children. And that is what the gospel is. It is going from being God's enemy to going to being God's child. You can now call yourself children of God. That is the gospel. No one is born a child of God, but they are born again into God's kingdom. When we talk about the wounds of a friend, Jesus was the ultimate friend in that he suffered for our sin. He took our punishment on the cross. His wounds were faithful in that they were substitutionary. He didn't deserve them, but he took them in our place. John 3.16, the most popular Bible verse in the whole world, is God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Some of us here today are lonely. Uh, We feel that no one truly knows us, that we are all alone. But on the cross, God didn't give you money. He didn't give you a car. He didn't give you a flat screen TV. No, no, what he gave you was himself. On the cross, God gave you everything. The The maker of heaven and earth died in your place, and that makes all the difference in the world. Do you want a true friend? Trust Jesus. Do you feel unloved? God loves you. He died for you. He did this so you can know true companionship and true friendship and true intimacy. Only when you know Jesus do you know God. Only when you realize that he has died for you will you understand what true friendship is. He is the Emmanuel, the God with us, the God who died for us. He was the spotless lamb killed in our place so that, we could, so that his blood would wash us white. We're going to transition into a time of communion. Um, someone's going to be standing up here holding broken matzah. As you come up to accept that, he'll tell you 
This is Jesus' body, broken for your sins. Someone else will hold a cup of wine or a cup of juice, whichever is your preference, and they will tell you, his blood was poured out for you. Please, if you're, if you're here today um, and, and you know you understand that forgiveness, please come up and join us. If you're here today and you don't know that forgiveness, please talk to someone. Everyone is welcome at God's table. Um, join us as we remember his sacrifice. But don't take that lightly. All are welcome at his table again. But it, but it was not free. It doesn't cost you personally anything, but it did cost God everything. It did cost him his only son. I'm going to close for us in prayer. Father God, I do thank you that you did not spare your only son for us that we should know true companionship and true friendship in his sacrifice on our behalf, that we can be reconciled to you as we were once enemies, but now are called children of God. We recognize that you are sovereign over even our, our bad friendships, God, and, and pray that you could use us to minister to these people and um, help them to recognize their own, the, your image inside of all of us. Um, pray that we would be better friends. Pray that we would... Um, would locate in our own lives better friends. We would not be isolated, God, but we would be with, with your people and they would point us to you. Um, thank you for, for your sacrifice for us on the cross. Pray this in Jesus' name and in the power of his spirit. Amen.